0: This episode is brought to you by Paraswap, the leading aggregator to find best prices across various DEXs. You'll hear more about them later in the show. All right, everyone. We have a big crew today for another episode of Empire. I'm sitting down with co-host of Empire Santiago. We are also joined by two guests today. Uh, One is Derek, the co-founder of Reverie, also the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts in crypto. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're like, what is that? What is this crypto podcast listen to? This is what I listen to. It's called I Pledge Allegiance. It's an amazing podcast. You guys should check it out. Uh, the other guest is Sunny Agarwal, co-founder of Osmosis, uh, and truly just one of the brightest minds in the space. So Derek, Sunny, and per usual, Santi, welcome to the show, guys.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: I think a good place to start, uh, we're going to be talking about do IDX just had their announcement. So I want to get your guys' take on, on app chains. We're going to go really deep into governance. Uh, Sonny, I want to get your kind of longer term vision for what you're building, because I think it's really interesting as it relates to competing with some of the C5 folks. So Sonny, I think I'd kick it over to you. Um, we are seven months into the bear. What are some of your lessons learned, especially as you watch everything that's happening in C5 unfold as it is? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, so definitely this shows like partially the need for DeFi and, like, you know, we, if we're just building centralized banks on top of, like, you know, uh, decentralized money, that doesn't really solve, like, the fundamental problems for why crypto was created in the first place. And, you know, uh, the lack of transparency and stuff, especially into, like, some of the centralized lenders, mi- mirrors a lot of lack of transparency in, like, a lot of the banking system in 2008. And you have a system where people are sort of borrowing uh doing like a lot of short-term borrowing and using it to create like long-term uh investments right whether it's in things like steath uh staked eth which is effectively like a you know a bond with an unknown maturity uh on eth and so that you know that's this sort of like long long long-term somewhat risky bet uh you had like entities like three arrows capital, basically borrowing short term, and then like putting it into like long term venture capital investment, you know, personally, I think the whole concept of like how Ethereum like launched proof of stake with with like, without the ability to withdraw for like a completely unknown period of time, always seemed very whack to me. Like, uh, I I think there was just a lot of pressure to like, nominally say that they had shipped proof of stake. Uh, But actually that like, that that over like pressure like kind of led them to like launch something that i think and, and not uh maybe there just wasn't enough communication around like the risks associated with it
0: the lack of liquidity and the lack of ability yeah. to get yeah mm-hmm. okay that's interesting derek derek what do you think because you guys at reverie you're in a really interesting seat where you probably have the deepest access and knowledge of the on the governance side of things um And you guys are seeing a lot of what's happening with different projects and a lot of what's happening with their founders and their building team saying, holy shit, okay, now we're seven months into this bear. Let us reflect and let's reflect together. So what do you think are some of the lessons learned in your minds?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's not too different from a lot of the questions that your traditional non-crypto and and equity-based businesses are asking, which is like, what are our priorities? Thinking from first principles, like, how much burn do we have? What are the one or two most important things that actually matter for the next for, for, for the next two years or whatever, however long the spare market takes? And I think uh, the added element with protocols that I've heard across the board is just rethinking like emission spend and and really where that goes because I think in a again in the past few months we've seen a lot of uh, protocols think about like their current emission schemes, they're overpaying for liquidity, they're realizing that a lot of the, the main customers that they're targeting are, are leaving, they're potentially blowing up. And there's much longer term, uh, maybe more conservative ways to, to deploy those pieces of capital. So I think that's an interesting conversation that we're, we're, we're hearing across the board with a lot of different projects right now.
0: So would that be things like liquidity mining and maybe like these VE tokenomics, like those kind of things that were almost used as, it's almost like the marketing spend of crypto, of of DeFi in 2020 and 2021. Now we're kind of taking a step back saying, all right, we just spent 350 mil liquidity mining. Are any of those users still around?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think the liquidity emissions and as a whole, I think they could probably be reduced and they should also just be Thought done in a more thoughtful manner um, in terms of targeting specific users for specific durations and time periods, and yeah, you touched on the the ve staking model. I think there there was a period of probably like three to six months from from late twenty twenty one to early twenty twenty two when the ve staking model was was super popular and it was like every I feel it felt like to me every protocol was at least having that discussion. Um, I think like it, it's again it's easy to look back in hindsight, but feels like a lot of those discussions were, were sort of done with a more with a more short term mindset. So, I think yeah, and I've definitely noticed sort of those those conversations slowing down on the on the ve staking side as well. Um, yeah, I think it can be useful in certain cases, um, but I, I think again, it's not useful like ve staking and and sort of incentivizing staking just for the sake of, of of staking, if there's if it's not doing anything else, um, if you're going to be in a prolonged bear market, it's just sort of wasteful.
0: Yeah. Sonny, how do you guys think about customer acquisition? Because one thing that's always struck me as really difficult, Derek, you said it's not that different from what traditional companies are doing. One of the biggest differences in my mind from like traditional web to customer acquisition versus crypto is it's really, really, really hard to design an efficient and kind of predictable acquisition model when your CAC spend and your revenue are denominated in volatile assets. Right. So Sonny, how do you guys think about that? Yeah.
2: Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with Derek on like the whole VE token model. We were never big fans of it. I, you know, it, letting your, pro, your protocol incentives are one of the most important thing your protocol has. And like, having it be dictated by like sort of short-term bribery is seems like not the best thing to do for long-term like strategic plant like you know growth but going forward I think we're really going to be moving uh incentives towards sort of more protocol owned liquidity style things where you know current we've already been sort of you know osmosis when when incentives go towards these like two week bonds we want people to add liquidity but we don't want like this mercenary liquidity that comes in and out we want liquidity that's sort of like somewhat sticky and so we actually put the most of our incentives towards like hey you have to bond your lp shares for 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 mm-hmm. like, two weeks um but we, we want to move towards like hey the mm-hmm. osmosis community pool is actually spending mm-hmm. all this money on incentives um but you know even two weeks after two weeks and go away we should actually be spending know the money on acquiring other assets so that it one diversifies the protocol treasury and then two it can use that as a sort of protocol owned liquidity um
0: Mm, yeah that's really interesting um one thing that dictates the marketing spend obviously is like what type of users it is and i want to come back to that near the end of this conversation about kind of the roadmap and, and what kind of users you're trying to optimize for and, and how you guys end up competing against CFI. But one thing that just happened last week that I thought was really interesting, I want to get both of your take on this, is DYDX announced on Wednesday that they're migrating from StarkNet, uh, which is just a, a roll-up on Ethereum to their own chain built on the Cosmos SDK. Um, I'm assuming you guys have known this for a while. Uh, Derek, I'm not sure if you were actively involved in that in that decision. I'm not sure if you guys actually closely work with DYDX, but Can you just tell me like how this type of decision gets made? Maybe Derek, I'd throw it to you. Like, how do you decide to build on your own app chain versus another L1 versus another chain on Cosmos? Like how does this type of big decision get made?
1: Yeah, so I guess I'd caveat all of this with saying I I wasn't directly involved in this decision at all. It was entirely DYDX trading's decision. Um, So I, I mean, I would presume that again, like, Based off of DYDX's historical focus, it's been building a scalable, usable, good product experience for derivatives. I think everything else is downstream of that. That's what Antonio has always been talking about, product, product, product. Um, and I think, so sort of backing out what goes into building a, a really good derivatives exchange. And for for them, I think it's like scalability. I think that's super important. I think it's full decentralization. Right now, DYDX V3 is um, and they'll say this, like it's there there's certain parts of, of the protocol that are quite centralized. Um, it's uh, the order book, the execution, and and they're using Starknet, which is which is great, but does ha- potentially have some some limitations. So I think from their perspective, I don't know like the, the sort of specific detailed technical and, and protocol level trade-offs in terms of like all of them, but i think those are the the high level factors that they they thought about and um i think sunny can can probably talk a bit more about like specifically just like why it might make sense and, and what are some of the trade-offs to building your own app chain versus building on another l2
2: yeah you know so, i mean i've been
1: in touch with uh
2: antonio and uh about about this you know cosmos chain for a number of months now um and
0: you know, yeah, I mean, that was
2: sort of the one of the main things was, you know, they wanted to figure out how they can get still the, the UX that they have in their current sort of Starkware based implementation, but actually have it be more decentralized because the, the, the current in, in, implementation, you know, Starkware still runs on a sing, single operator mode. And I actually think that single operator mode, sim, single operator roll ups are like extremely dangerous for like the crypto space and like. You know should be heavily pushed back against um, but then you know they also have like you know their yeah like their order books and stuff were, you know single operator and stuff and so they needed a way of like building a decentralized system that has a lot of those benefits um they you, you know so 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 why, why like single why are single operator uh roll-ups like such a, so problematic you know so roll up systems give you safety by design right that's the whole point of them that you know you don't have to trust the roll up operator for for correctness of the of the of the execution it, the roll up system is what gives you safety but it doesn't give you liveness nor censorship and front running resistance um and if you care about liveness and mev resistance you need to have some sort of decentralized uh, consensus protocol that your roll-up is running on and you know wh- whether that you know pro- I, most likely probably gonna be Tendermint for a lot of these roll-ups up, roll um, but so if, if you're gonna have to build this sort of like decentralized uh, consensus system you still need decentralized operators it's unclear how much benefit you really get from have it using a roll-up style system as opposed to you know if you're already building you have to build up a decentralized validator set anyways then you might as well you know part of the problem you know building roll-ups is um hard i'll say you know it's like there's you have to be able to construct fraud proofs or validity proofs for your entire uh state machine and today like you know you know things are getting better and better Part, part, you know part of our view is we're, you know we think that like zk style stuff is going to be is going to win out over optimistic style stuff and you know when we started building osmosis and stuff like you know zk roll-ups i, I think that like zk roll-ups and like i think validity proofs are going to be what's going to like win out in in, in the long term and so spending all a lot of energy designing our state machine to be able to like generate fraud proofs when I think that's a paradigm that's going to be like, go by the wayside in a couple, within a couple of years, seemed like just not, not the right use of of energy. Um, And so our view with like how security models of blockchains are going to evolve is eventually, you know, right now we're just like, okay, we're just building our own sovereign state machine. It's not relying on anything else. But this just gives us the freedom to like iterate much faster and like, you know, develop and you know not have to worry about oh we have to write in like you know cairo and stuff is getting better and better more user friendly but it's still not as easy to write in as like you know the Cosmos sdk is written in go and it's like you know we can use this entire ecosystem of developer tools and testing frameworks and all this sort of stuff that you don't get in like something like Cairo today. And then, you know, a couple of years down the road, once like validity proof systems are ready, then, you know, that's when we can like, and and as well as our protocol is a little bit more stable, um, then that's when we can, you know, I think everything will start to shift towards this validity proof system. But I also just don't think security is going to be this like sort of hub and spoke model where it comes, you know, everything comes from Ethereum and then it's like, you know, everything relies on one security system. I think you're actually going to have many security systems and they all are going to be sort of like um, doing shared security with each other where, you know, you're going to have validators on different chains that are going to basically agree to being slashed on a network of chains if they do a, a byzantine fault on any of them so you know because you look at a lot of these chains like the the, the amount of overlap on the entity of the validator sets is like very high right the, you know probably like over 50 percent of the validators on you know all cosmos chains are the same probably the same with on like you know i think a lot of the, most of the lido validators are also like uh co- like early cosmos hub validators and so what we're going to end up happening is saying like, hey, okay, look, if I do some Byzantine fault on osmosis, I would also end up getting slashed on the Cosmos hub and on Ethereum and on Polygon, And so it's going to be this sort of like mesh security. And uh, you're going to be able to prove this stuff using the validity proofs that we're going to get from like um, zero-knowledge huh.
0: systems. It's a really interesting thesis. So, uh, Santi, I actually might toss it to you. I don't know if you have a take on this, uh, just because... You're doing so much angel investing on and talking to founders who are making these kind of decisions on a daily basis. Do you think that we'll start to see apps start on this kind of shared on these shared security chains, and then almost move to their own sovereign chains as they start to grow and decentralize the network? I don't know if you have a take on that.
3: Uh, it's a really good question. I don't have a perfect answer to it, other than I think founders at this point um, don't have the bandwidth, and or are saying at some point we may consider doing that. But at the moment, it's very compelling just to just use a shared security model for now, and then and then, I guess the the interesting and attractive part of it is that if you ever want to do it, then it perhaps is easier when you're when you're interacting with the Cosmos ecosystem. But I, I'll I'll pass it over to Sonny or, or Derek if you guys have a different take.
2: Yeah, I think like a lot of applications, you know, it depends on like what people are trying to do, what how much control what layer of the stack they're trying to innovate at, right? So some something like Osmosis, you know, our goal was to innovate very much at the protocol layer. You know, we've been working on a lot of like privacy stuff, anti front running stuff, um, a lot of like UX stuff uh, around like how like keys and stuff work. And so to do a lot of that stuff, we actually have to be able to go to like change how the like Account model of the blockchain works or one of the things we do is on osmosis We actually allow people to pay transaction fees and any token they want and that's not something we could do if we were building on Someone else's l1 or for our anti front-running stuff. We have to we use something called threshold encryption Which is like baked in we have to go we have to go modify and bake it into the consensus protocol and so for that, you know they're, and you know, someone like DYDX, they're actually doing a lot of like interesting things at that layer as well, right? So they're like having a system where all their validators are running order books and like gossiping between each other and then only set, uh, they're running order books in the mempool and then only settling, uh, ex- settled uh, transactions on chain. And so it's like, you know, if you're trying to do interesting stuff and innovating at the mempool layer, that's like, you know, you kind of need to have your own chain to be able to do that. Now, if you're going to instead just, you know, if you kind of just focus only on the application there, then in that case, sometimes it is, you know, maybe faster to sort of build on an existing chain. But then once you get and like use that as an, you know, something we've been pitching to a lot of projects is like, you know, being able to, a lot of people are trying to use osmosis as this sort of like incubator where it's like, hey, you know, we're gonna deploy something on Osmosis, which by the way, we do have a smart contracting system now. Um, but deploy here, get some product market fit. Um, a lot of them are like Xtera projects that are like, you know, need to just like regain their footing. So it's like, hey, come deploy here, get your users back and stuff. And then, uh, you know, split off onto your own chain once you're w- once you're ready. And then um, that's kind of like the, the what I think is gonna happen. Uh, going forward, even for many more and more Ethereum projects, I think are going to start to do this as well.
3: Yeah. I'm curious, the criticisms that I've heard um, from a couple of folks, uh, not all from the same camp is shared security model is not going to work in the long term. Um, I'm I'm just, I know it's a very open-ended question, but I am curious because there are skeptics out there around the shared security model. And then second around, how does value actually accrue here in the system? And I think they're both intertwined, like if value is not accruing, then at some point, like doesn't, I think that compromises security. Like, it was unclear, like what value accrue to the, to the atom, the token, um, hmm. which is like the currency in, in the system. Um, whereas people in just like, you know, Binance and even Facebook at one point was trying to, like is using Tendermint, but that doesn't necessarily mean value is going to accrue to atoms, right? So that's the other piece of this. So I, I know it's like two prong question. So
2: you know, I I would say like it is worth noting that like Cosmos is a independent thing from atoms and the Cosmos Hub, and you know I, Cosmos is was more of this like open source like idea of a it's a bunch of open source tools and this idea that we can use them to build this network of interoperating blockchains. There is one blockchain in that network called the Cosmos Hub, which I think is very confusing from the nomenclature because you know it doesn't it's not unlike um other systems like polka dot and stuff where like you know the polka dot relay chain is like baked into the system um the cosmos hub is not this like central piece of the cosmos ecosystem and like the the success of these two things are sort of like destroyed not not, sorry, not destroyed, but are independent right um so you know, Osmosis right now is sort of an independent chain built on built on the Cosmos network that doesn't really use the Cosmos hub uh, right now, other than that, you know, Atom is a major token that is listed on Osmosis. Um, I think that the Cosmos hub, what it can do, one sort of so, the vision of the Cosmos hub was to be able to provide this sort of like shared security where mm-hmm. the Atom token is just this like sort of... Ver- very high market cap asset uh, relative, you know, to a lot of the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem. And it will basically be able to um, provide the, you know, this the same shared security system I was saying, where like Atom validators will agree to get slashed on the Cosmos hub if they do misbehaviors on other chains, they would provide that as a security and then uh, as a service and then get some sort of revenue for it. like. And I, I imagine the way I, I thought of it, I, I, I think of it as it's like a, um, it's like a validator union of sorts, like a taxi medallion where it's like, hey, if you want to be able to be this validator and have this opportunity to like provide shared security in all these chains, you need to have uh, this Atom token to be able to do that. Um, because they're, because that's gonna be who people come to in order to, you know, when they want shared security. and you're going to be able to earn the revenue from like staking and fees and everything across all of these chains that are part of the shared security system.
0: Derek, I've a question for you actually on the Cosmos side of things. Uh, Maybe this is for Sunny, but Derek, I'll toss it to you first. Um, Right now apps in the Cosmos ecosystem are generally focused on like one use case, right? And they're pretty friendly with other chains. Could you see a future where each successful I'm not even sure if this question makes sense, but each successful app chain begins to build out like their own vast ecosystem of applications to retain users and accrue value, and then they start almost competing with other app-specific app chains. Is that, I'm trying to figure out in my head if that question even makes sense as it comes out, but
1: no, I I think it it does make sense, and it, it's a good question, and and I and I and, I'm, and I and I can say it. I don't know if Sonny, Sonny will say this, but I think yeah, there's definitely. Like the reality of, of the cosmos ecosystem is that all these different projects I mean like if they're building their own app chain they are in some ways competing with the the, the, the sort of core cosmos hub and and any other option that that users can go through um, I don't think they're it, it's a strange thing because they're both allies and and competitors um, I think like, Osmosis in particular is interesting because it's an on-ramp that that users have to go through to acquire tokens and any tokens in the in the Cosmos and IBC enabled ecosystem. So I think that makes it pretty well positioned. Um, but yeah, I, I I think there's a ton of projects out there uh, that are that are building on it. Like just like any DeFi protocol, they won't be satisfied with just winning their own vertical, whether it's spot or or lending, or or options, or derivatives, or whatever. Like, like over the five ten years, yeah, all these protocols will want to become their own banks or their own prime brokers or or, or however you want to frame it. So, I think yeah, longer term, there there will again just like all DeFi protocols, there will be sort of inevitable overlap. Um, and here's there's just an added element of having your own security and and sort of. Almost, yeah, competing to 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 make your security, your, your protocol security, the the strongest possible, and, and incentivizing others to build on it. So, it, it, it's sort of an added um, dynamic, so to say. And yeah, I think there will be interesting second and and third order effects over the long term. I don't I don't think we fully understand it yet, mm-hmm. but it'll be it'll be fun to, to watch.
0: Yeah, when I saw the Cosmos Hub launch the their. Uh oh my god what's the name of it the gravity decks um it was it, it felt very almost like an amazon moment to me where i was like okay if you're building a store right the best place to build an online store is on top of amazon but then amazon comes and competes with you but their amazon has all the users so you're still like well shit, i need to be on the amazon store and i do wonder if cosmos had is going to have some of those, more of those like some more of those moments right where they're this credibly neutral hub of the Cosmos ecosystem, but then they launch products. And if I'm a Dex, I'm like, I want to be on Cosmos, but like you just launched a competitive Dex. So, you know, it's kind of at at odds with each other. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see play out. Sonny, I'm curious to get your take on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of why I I mean so this is kind of the claim I made about the Cosmos hub when they were first trying to launch the Gravity Dex was I was very strongly against it uh as a at uh, you know I I, I quite a bit of atoms you know I I worked on Cosmos Hub as well for a number of years, and I thought that like by launching the Gravity Dex, the Cosmos Hub actually is going to lose that sort of credible neutrality that it had, and I, I in my opinion, when they launched the Gravity Dex, is when the Cosmos Hub sort of like lost that. Pos- position of centrality within the Cosmos ecosystem, because then they started effectively competing with Osmosis and then kind of got outcompeted competed as a DEX. And so, you know, they've, re- they've removed the DEX now from, from, from the Cosmos hub, but, and are kind of going back to the shared security sort of um, system that, you know, it was originally designed for, but it's like, uh, I feel like the centrality was a little bit lost at that point.
0: All right, everyone. Really excited to share a special update from our friends at Paraswap. Paraswap has been pushing the boundaries of what is possible with DeFi for years, and they just did it again. They just rolled out the first ever NFT peer to peer mobile trading app on iOS. That's right. They launched an iOS app for peer to peer NFT trading. You can buy and sell NFTs with any token. They have a secure non custodial wallet. Uh, you've got a Fiat on ramp with zero fees at all. That's all at paraswap.io forward slash beta paraswap.io forward slash beta. It's a peer to peer NFT trading app on apple. Pretty crazy thing in the iOS ecosystem. Imagine not using a platform that could literally save you thousands on gas. That's paraswap. Go check out the app. Go check out the native wallet to store all of your crypto assets in one place. Go get your gas refunded. Go check them out. Go download the new Paraswap NFT trading app, paraswap.io forward slash beta, paraswap.io forward slash beta. Now let's get back to the show. It'll be interesting to see it play out. I don't think we know, but um, let's talk governance actually, because unless unless there's anything else that you guys want to touch on there, Senator Derek.
2: Oh, I was just going to say like, you know, I definitely agree with you this idea that like, you know, I think even like ignoring the cost, like not other than just the Cosmos top, I do think that like different chains in Cosmos definitely will like try to sort of like slowly try to expand their scope in ways, right? Like, w- I mean, w- to be completely honest, we're kind of doing this with osmosis as well. I and mean, It was just sort of always the plan, but like we started with just this like spot trading, but we're... we're working on expanding the scope of osmosis to be more than just that, right? Where, you know, how we see it is that as os- osmosis as a decentralized exchange needs to compete with centralized exchanges, and we need to offer the sort of same suite of products that centralized exchanges do. So that means we're adding, you know, centralized exchanges have a lot of things, right? They're, they have spot trading, but they also have margin and perps and fiat on ramps and launch pads and you know a lot of them have nft markets now too right it's like so like yeah. and, and you see like uniswap did this too right uniswap uh recently acquired a nft aggregator and they have their sort of own nft marketplace and i do think that you know you, you are going to see that these like DeFi protocols are also going to sort of begin to expand scope a little bit similar to how centralized exchanges did i think the difference what what, what the approach that osmosis is going for is we're kind of sort of building a sort of a tight-knit ecosystem of products so instead of our team you know our dev team trying to go out and build every single one of these ourselves right we actually tried doing this for a little bit we, we were working on our own lending protocol called isotonic but we realized that like hey you know this so our plate was very full with just things to do we decided, okay, you know, let's go focus in on just the trading engine and the like chain development kind of stuff and then work with other teams to sort of build out some of these other pieces. So that's why we sort of dropped Isotonic and instead have been working very closely with the Mars team uh, to bu- sort of build out, you know, our vision of like joint vision of what like a, the best leverage trading system would look like. um and you know then eventually mars is going to break off onto its own chain but like as i think there's this like sort of sphere of influence that like these chains are are, are trying to build where like for at the end of the day for osmosis as a you know as a pure the, the goal of osmosis is to drive as much trading fees to on, on our on our on our decks as possible right because that's the ultimate source of revenue uh for it so whether mm-hmm. it's like trying to say so that's why we're not trying to build a world where we're like oh everything needs to be being built on the osmosis chain we we just want to have a coalition of many projects that are still using osmosis as their like sort of primary trading venue
0: got it sunny so, I mean, we love analogies on empire the analogy that oftentimes got used in the bull market for when when it was kind of l1 season right was all right avalanche and back then terra and solana this is going to look a lot like the cloud wars right where you have AWS and you have Microsoft Azure and you have Google cloud and uh, they'll all be kind of in the background, right? Like we're using this platform called Riverside. I have no idea if it's on AWS or Google cloud or Azure. That was the analogy that oftentimes got used in the bull market for L1s is comparing them to the cloud wars. What would, is there an analogy that you think makes sense for what's going on in the cosmos ecosystem today?
2: I mean, I think this is more like similar to the, um, not the cloud wars, but sort of your Googles and Facebooks and Microsofts where, you know, Google's like, oh, let's go try to build a social network and Facebook's like, oh, let's try to build a phone. And like, you know, I think you're, you're gonna have, you had these, you know, our, our view in Cosmos has always been that like value accrues to the application layer, not to the protocol layer, kind of like a rejection of the back protocol thesis. Uh, I think, uh, Pro applications are what have relationships with the users. They have brands, they have stickiness uh, and applications will move to whatever protocol fits them best. Uh, and so the, yeah, so I, I think that's probably a better analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you had those like web two g- giant sort of building uh, a suite of products and you know, and they, they do still compete in some verticals, some verticals. They've just decided, okay, you know what? Yeah, no. I mean, you know, Microsoft still built Bing, but it's like, okay, we kind of just accepted Google's going to win at that. And like um, sort of with that, yeah.
1: If I can toss in another analogy, curious what you think, Sonny. You could almost frame it as Greek city-states in the sense that they work with each other, they trade with each other. Sometimes they go to battle um, on, on the same side against foreign invaders, so ultimately they're they're here to increase the the Greeks or whatever sphere of influence on the rest of the world. But like sometimes they still go to war against each other. They still have rivalries. So that's one way to think about it: small, different city states with um, similar interests, but also some some conflicts.
0: So then the real question is, who's building Sparta? And Who's building teams? Right. <laughs> um, cool. we can, who,
3: who are the pigeons and the Spartans <laughs> and everyone else wants to kill
0: you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into uh, let's get into some governance stuff. Uh, and the reason I wanted to go with governance uh, is because the Cosmos ecosystem probably has the highest concentration of like just like very active governance people i don't know i'm just like i've never seen an ecosystem that 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 has that much activists um and just like that active of governance and so um i think i guess my question to you derek is just like why like why you because you guys are span different ecosystems looking at governance like why does cosmos have such a strong governance set and maybe maybe i'm just maybe i'm wrong there maybe you disagree with me
1: no i would say your underlying uh thesis is correct i think cosmos just the ecosystem has the most active and engaged governance I've seen across all of crypto. I think the, the reason is it's so intertwined with the core security, validators play a large role. And like if you're a validator and you're securing the chain, but you're not engaged in the protocol, if, if the users don't know who you are, they're not going to, to, to stake their tokens to, to your validator. And since your business model is earning a commission, the more stake you have, the more profitable. So if people don't know who you are and you're not active, you just won't make as much money. And I think that provides an incentive for validators to provide their opinion, provide an educated opinion, Uh, be thoughtful about the choices they are making, both from a protocol spend perspective, protocol design, um, and and really anything that governance falls under, I think it it just it it creates this floor of having a a minimum of like a, a few dozen really active governance members in the form of validators, and I think that in turn attracts other community members who will who will share feedback, disagree, and and go from there. I don't think this is a dynamic you see in many other protocols. Um, I think just to, we, we work on, on a few projects in Ethereum and the incentives are very different, right? If you're a token holder and you delegate to someone else to vote, they might never ever vote. And it just like doesn't, there's no, it doesn't matter for, for either party. The protocol as a whole might suffer because less people are watching it or, or voting on like, a new collateral type to, to add or whatever, but there's no like incentive to, to really share your opinion. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's sort of my diagnosis of, of why there's so much activity in, in Cosmos. Um, I think there's room for improvement as well. There's probably some changes that, that can be made, but yeah, I'll pause there and I could keep yeah. talking about this all day, so.
2: I sort of say that, uh, you know, the Bitcoin, um, well, uh, original Bitcoin uh, Genesis block, you know, in the, it had the timestamp with the uh, headline about chance uh, on bailout second, on break of second bailout for banks. And it was like, hey, like, oh, it's like about like, you know, solve these like problems with the financial system. Um, in the Genesis file of the Cosmos hub, uh, my validator Siko, we took the tagline from the, the headline uh, that day on The Times. And it was The Times, 11 March 2019, Brexit vote must be put on hold, MPs war in May. And I thought it was just so perfect <laughs> that day. That's it's amazing, like, that's amazing. Yeah, like Bitcoin was supposed to be this like revolution in finance. And we really saw that what we're building in with Cosmos was this like platform for like, iterating and experimenting with governance and like yeah. sovereign governance systems.
0: Yeah. I mean, really all crypto is is just re-networking people um, and just moving people around in almost different ways than they've ever been incentivized and moved around before. Uh one of my biggest learnings, I think, from the bull market and now seven months into the bear is that the current kind of token weighted voting system is pretty primitive, right? It needs to evolve, right? It suffers from like holder concentration, from voter apathy. Um and so I'm just curious, like Sonny, where you think this goes? Do we move in the direction of incentivizing voter delegation, uh, but maybe also more like formal structures where the voters provide particular like subject matter experts with discretion to execute on their responsibilities without actually requiring a vote? Like where where does governance go?
2: Yeah, I think it will become more and more like a liquid democracy style system where you get, you know, currently we have this in in Cosmos right now where uh, what happens is you delegate to a validator and you're, you by default inherit your validator's vote unless you manually override it. Or like you, if, if you vote yourself, then it will uh, take your vote. Um, I think what we're gonna end up seeing is like, yeah, different different expertise, expert matters, you know, I'll delegate to someone for how to do protocol incentives, but then I'll delegate for someone else for how to like, you know, Uh, decide whether to a smart contract is sufficiently audited to be allowed to be deployed on osmosis or and uh, you'll have this like sort of stage delegation thing Uh, one thing i would want to fix actually with how cosmos governance works today is i think that your delegates shouldn't receive all of your vote Uh, they should receive a portion of your vote and then let's say like you know if you delegate votes, then they use twenty five percent of your voting power. Let's say, and then if you go vote yourself, then it uses a hundred percent of your voting power. So that way, it uh, re- it reduces. I think right now in Cosmos uh, governance, like the validators are a little bit. Way over in governance. And so that will solve that. And it will also just give an incentive that even if you agree with what your validators or your delegates says, it still is an incentive for you to go vote yourself, because then you could use 100% of your
0: voting power instead
2: of only 25.
0: Hmm. Uh, Derek, I want to ask a question to you that I think either you or Larry asked Sunny on the podcast, and it's such a good question that I'm going to copy it. Uh, which is around crypto governance and speed, right? Typically, there's a direct correlation between speed and governance. So super, super concentrated governance equals you can move really fast. This is what we see at like small startups, right? Super concentrated governance. Everyone's in a small, we work together and you can just build stuff like crazy. Maybe very decentralized governance like Bitcoin uh, or or honestly, big corporations, you move a lot slower. So Derek, I think the question I'd ask to you is, does crypto governance help as it stands today, help or hurt speed?
1: Um, I, I think at the end of the day, governance is not the goal, right? Governance is a means to an end of achieving your end goal, which for most protocols is winning market share, building something that people want to, to use. I think most of the time, like, if your protocols early involving a huge amount of people and in, in decisions inherently is at odds with efficiency and speed i think there's some decisions where it makes sense to have every token holder have an opinion on such as like i, I think some of the property rights related governance proposals like like with juno um with Solend. i think it's important that those discussions are are, are held transparently and. And out in the open, but I think yeah, like the the day to day things of, of operating a protocol, spending small amounts of funds from the treasury. I think there's no reason it should take weeks for a proposal and and for everyone to chime in. Like you should, there should be subject matter experts that 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 do handle those. So I think yeah, governance is is slow, it's inefficient, and it it can be it's all it's always going to be a trade-off so it's about figuring out what are the the low risk things you can make more efficient while um again keeping important discussions around like supply inflation property rights to, to sort of token holders as a and all staker stakeholders so
0: yeah what do you guys think i don't know who really to ask this question to but just like the role of a DAO, um olaf uh, where's it, uh, Polychain. Uh, Olaf? Polychain. Olaf from Polychain was on the podcast and, he's, and we asked him like, what's the role of a DAO? And he said, there's only one role of a DAO. It's to allocate capital. That's the only thing a DAO should do. Um, and it should basically become the equivalent of like a CFO's office, right? That basically looks at all the functions and all the initiatives, evaluates costs versus potential ROI, and then uses this analysis to inform like high level budgets, stack rank priorities, uh, take into account like unit economics, to determine what moves the project allocate the capital and then let people do the thing. Uh, Curious if you guys agree, disagree. Santi, I don't know if you have a take on this, but uh, Sunny, maybe I'd throw it to you first.
2: I actually think it's almost the opposite, where I actually think that DAOs and governance systems are actually really bad um, capital allocators. Uh, You know, this is kind of why the Osmosis DAO hired uh, Reverie to basically do the capital allocation, because, you know, it. it we realize that, like, I, I feel like part of, I don't know, to me, DAOs seem to be, a, especially like short term, like token holder based DAOs governance systems seem to be very bad at like sort of long term re- reciprocity of things where, you know, one of the things that we've always been pushing Osmosis for is to be more open to this kind of stuff where like, you know, uh we can, you know, we, we've done this where like in Osmosis they've we've given a loan from the community pool uh to another uh cosmos project called stargaze so that they could like you know bootstrap their liquidity and then stargaze then returned stars uh to the community pool like a couple of weeks later. Uh and so that was like, you know, I th- but in general I think like these sort of like longer term things is and like especially when it comes to negotiation you know like this like we saw this with like the sushi uh the fiasco where like sushi was trying to dow was trying to raise from raise funds from VCs. it's sort of hard for uh to do that kind of a lot of that it's, it's really hard to negotiate in public i would say right um and so that's kind of why having someone like reverie come in and be able to take on a lot of that like negotiation and evaluation role that kind of often requires like hard discuss hard conversations right um and being able to del- delegate those tasks
0: it's a good point i mean it's honestly just hard to buy things when the counterparty knows exactly how much money you have like we saw this with constitution dow was like of course someone was going to outbid the dow because we knew how much money the dow had raised so uh Santi, I'm curious. We haven't actually talked about this. I I don't know if you would agree with Sunny or you would agree with Olaf. Kind of two counterpoints there, like just the role of a DAO in allocating capital. I'd be curious to get your take on that.
3: I think uh, it really depends on the on the DAO. Um, You know, I think at the end of the day, like you need to look at um, it is most DAOs are struggling and will continue to struggle to actually coordinate. Uh, It's super super hard. Uh, I mean, of course, when values on the line, people tend to pay more attention as opposed to traditional political systems. But even then, like um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer that you need that pure, like truly decentralized, like DAOs are going to work. Like you need to have one or two really competent people that are ultimately like managing the stuff. But like everything, you know, it's it's. I think the 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 reason why you'd want to like the criticisms that we're seeing a lot in, in today's market is you're you're trying to like create stuff that no one really needs and it's, you know, you're just adding a layer of complexity that no one really wants and it's not going to work. The only reason why I think you want a DAO is one, you, you're able to bootstrap and like amass capital pretty quickly. And then there's more accountability and transparency in how people vote and delegate. And then ultimately there there is going to be a high degree of centralization in ultimately whoever is taking the decisions. And if you look at the most successful DAOs out there, you know, like Pleaser and alluvium and a few others, like you have a council of people that are really competent. And then at the end of the day, people don't like that. They can remove you from that role. And that's really it, right? It's, there's just more transparency and accountability and uh, tracking a lot of this stuff, which you don't necessarily have in traditional fund management or, or political assistance or, or that. So I don't know if that answers the question, but that's just my view, which is the only reason why this is kind of exciting on the margin is there's just more transparency, i.e. accountability
0: on, yeah. on these decisions. I think that's a really good point. Derek, I would expand the question to you um, and add in, like, org, org structure, actually. Um, in the in bull markets, everyone wants projects to be completely decentralized, right? But over time, like crypto or non-crypto, org charts and org structures of a startup have to evolve over time, right? Blockworks ourselves, we had 10 people, then we had 50 people. Like, the company needs to look very differently at those two sizes. Um, I think a lot of DeFi founders that I speak with understand this, but they almost feel constrained by decentralization saying, look, I get it. We need to move really quickly, but like we need to let the community figure things out. We need to be decentralized. In a bear market, uh, this probably, I think, changes, right? Where we allow teams to iterate and experiment with new org structures, things like working groups and pods and maybe like Uh, a bigger degree of centralization. I'm just curious what you're seeing on that front and if you have thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, candidly, I think a lot of what happened in the past two years was teams rushed to to launch their tokens Um, during a bull market. Everything's going up. And when you launch your token, you basically unleash Pandora's box in terms of, like, if you're trying to, like, the token has certain certain rights, certain decisions that the community made. And the protocol might not be ready for that. If the protocol still needs to figure out product market fit, it doesn't need hundreds or, or thousands of, of, of voices on how to build the product or, or how to set vision. So I think sort of in terms of protocol governance and, and shipping, I think certain teams put the cart before the horse. I think um, what we're seeing now I think is a is a pretty interesting we're seeing protocols take many different approaches to to recentralizing to reconcentrating decision making and power. Um, I think Ave is one example. I think they've they've hired the BGD labs team to basically be one of the core dev teams building for Ave. We've seen obviously MakerDAO with the core unit model. We're seeing some protocols go with with pods um, osmosis has different sub DAOs. So I think, yeah, we're again, definitely seeing a sort of bottoms up approach to re-centralizing. And I don't mean that it'll just end up being like a literally a company in the sense of having like a bunch of employees with functions, but I think it will be somewhere in between in the sense that the protocol needs to figure out who to hire, what specialists to bring on, and then hold them accountable um, whether it's every quarter, every six months, every year, so yeah, definitely think innovation in 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 new design is happening, but candidly there's a lot of lessons that we can borrow from traditional startups and traditional corporate governance so
0: Sonny, I would not be doing my job if i uh I messaged some people like hey i'm i'm Sonny's coming on the podcast I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about the exploit, so I just want to learn like you know every Crypto, I think, project or company uh, ecosystem goes through this at least once, probably multiple times. What what happened, and like, what are some of your lessons learned uh, from the exploit?
2: Yeah. So, um, what happened was, well, I mean, at the surface level, uh, there was a bug where um, where basically we miscalculated how many how much LP shares to give out when someone adds liquidity to the pool. Um, so. But, you know, let's zoom out for a second. Um, Basically, you know, Terra crashed and uh, there was sort of this like sudden onflow of developers that was trying to like, a lot of the Terra project, uh, DeFi projects were like, you know, using osmosis as sort of like the next place to go after, you know, to relaunch their projects. We, you know, we, we share, we have the same smart contracting system called Cosmosm. Uh, we're sort of the biggest DeFi app application now on Cosmos. Um, and so basically ever since then, we're, there's been sort of a little bit of a you know, we, we we had actually been working on getting a lot of our Cosmwasm tooling and stuff to the, po- you know, because we, we actually adopted Cosmwasm relatively recently, you know, Terra had been using it for like, you know, almost a year and a half at that point. Uh, we, we added it like a month or two ago and we, we were spending a lot of time on making like the dev UX like tailored to what we wanted. And then suddenly we had an onslaught of developers that we like weren't prepared for. And so we kind of had to start like rushing a lot of things. Um, Part and part of it was there was this uh, conference called so there was a Terra Dapp Expo that was supposed to happen in Austin, and it was canceled uh, for reasons and but the you know I, we were friends with the organizers and they were stuck in all these contracts with like the caterers and uh, venue and all this kind of stuff and so we kind of like offered to take over the con- uh, conference from them and so that way they could give a refund to more of the attendees and sponsors and stuff and. So we 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 threw our first OsmoCon uh, a in the in course of, you know we planned it in basically like ten days um, and we because and we were trying to get uh, this upgrade uh, this new upgrade that has a lot of these Cosmosm uh, features out before the conference just because you know we knew that like hey if we wait till after the conference it's gonna be like you know. Uh, it's going to take another two weeks or something to, to get this upgrade out. And so we kind of did this upgrade more rushed than we should have. We didn't go through the normal testing processes that we normally do. Uh, part, of, part of it was like we, you know, we also added a stable swap to Osmosis. Um, and we did this like sort of big refactor to the AMM module that makes it so it supports uh, custom curve type. So instead of having a single AMM curve, which we currently have the balancer t- one we, we we would support you know balancer and then stable swap and you know we can add more and more, um, and we knew that we didn't test the stable swap uh, enough, uh, and so we actually pulled stable swap out of that upgrade and so we didn't add that, but we kept the actual refactor that generalized the A M M, and yeah so I mean basically the, of the R is that you know we just didn't test things properly we didn't uh, we had our testnet and stuff running but we never connected our front end to it. Uh, we had a lot of tests on um, single-sided liquidity ads, because that's what we actually did a lot of major changes to, but not on the simple thing, which is basic liquidity adding.
3: Um, and so, yeah. So basically, what, could you, what, what could you have done different? Because like, this is the, you're like, not testing enough. Like, I guess this is just for general founders, but like, I understand there's chaotic innovation in crypto and the community and you want to push stuff out pretty quickly. But how do you avoid this? Because you could, sort of knew that you aren't tested enough, uh, like how do you avoid this?
2: Yeah, so one, I mean, definitely just don't rush on these things. Like, you know, we ended up, you know, our, our worry was like, hey, if we don't launch before Osmocon, we're gonna have to waste two weeks on not being able to get this upgrade out. It's like, well, okay, we definitely spent more than two weeks now, uh, like on, on, on dealing with the aftermaths of things. Um, Would that have required
3: an, an audit Uh, And if so, a big challenge that I hear is it's kind of impossible to get an audit pretty quickly.
2: Yeah. So, I I mean, I think
3: audits are
2: good. I'm not sure. I I think people kind of hold up audits as these, like, perfect end-all, be-all solution. Oh, you get an audit? You're good. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, every audit that we've kind of gone through has not been very great. Uh, Like, we've... uh, you know, some auditors, I feel like, like, Linter is on our code and just, like, give us the results. Um, the, I think the solution really is just better code practices and review practices. So, um, you know, there's a Linus Torvalds quote about, you know, given enough eyes, all bugs are shallow. But I think right now in the state that a lot of our AMM module was in, it was like, you know, there just wasn't enough, readability and like code comments that like someone making it very easy for someone to follow along exactly uh, what is happening. And I think that's sort of the, what well, the mistake that was made and th- th- that's sort of what we're doing right now is, you know, we're, we're not working on any feature development right now, we're spending the next few sprints just focused on like, hey, let's like, you know, add, add more code comments, readability. We did this thing, interestingly, where after, where during this upgrade, we actually walked, we did a walkthrough with a bunch of validators. And we, you know, we said like, hey, whoever wants to join this Zoom call, we're gonna walk through all the changes we're making uh, in this like bug fix upgrade. Um, And that kind of helped because it just makes it so other more people understand the code. And actually since then we've actually seen that more validators contribute to the code as well, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, But yeah, so I, I think, and then, you know, just, Better testing frameworks. So, so we have this thing called the simulator, which is a tool in the Cosmos SDK that, like, you know, lets you define invariants and then it does like it does random transactions and you, you know, it, it it was actually such a helpful tool in the early days of Cosmos. It found like so many bugs and like helped solve them. But just a lot of the ergonomics around it are just very sort of annoying to use, and we kind of stopped um, using it at, at some. I, I, I don't even know how to pinpoint an exact point in time where we stopped using it. We kind of just kind of, and now it's like, okay, no, we have to go make sure that we're like using the simulator properly, making sure as we're doing more code changes, we're, re- we're adding more and more invariants,
3: um, mm-hmm. things like that. Gonna, uh, I want to I wanna ask two, two questions. One is how much uh, trust do you think was lost and how do you recoup that? Uh, and the second is what impact? Have you seen in this, in this market correction in terms of user flows and activity? And again, this is an overarching kind of theme that I'm seeing in the market now, which is most people are now saying, this is all ponzi Ponziomics, and these are there's no real use cases for Web3. I'm curious what you're seeing from the users that are coming to use Osmosis and how how that has changed uh, recently given market um, sticking a leg down.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I think definitely... Some trust was lost on, like, you know. I think uh, our our dev team is one of the, you know, we we've been working on Cosmos for like a number of years, and so it was sort of expected that, you know, we we are supposed to have these like highest coding practices within within the Cosmos ecosystem, and so I think, you know, what yeah, we, you know, there's there's going to be work to be done on, like, you know, making sure especially. Not just yeah, just for users. A lot of, for the developers who are building on top of Osmosis, just showing that like, hey, look, you know, we're 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 going back to the and like re-implementing a lot of these like security practices that sort of I don't know we got I don't want to say we got lazy. It's just that we kind of sort of pri- started over prioritizing speed and velocity over like you know safety and security, and so we have to like kind of go refine that balance again. Um, On the user side, we've been, you know, I think that I would say that we haven't really lost many of our users that we had, you know, like I think everyone in even like at Osmocon, which was like the market was nuking and like the chain was down. Like, I think everyone was in like extremely high spirits and like um, I yeah, generally just don't think we've, you know. I don't I don't I don't think the uh, community has had that like bad of a network sort of a sentiment uh to this. Um and you know, we're kind of just all focused on like going forward and building um what you know, one thing I like about the bear market is you can work on sort of longer term things, uh where there's a lot of like features that, you know, for example, our front running stuff uh with threshold encryption. It's something that we knew is like a six month project, but we just kept having to prioritize the like one to two month faster wins during the bull market and getting things shipped faster. And so now in the bear market, it gives us time to like actually go focus on like building out some of these like longer term, but in my opinion, like more important uh,
0: features. So i um, looking forward to sort of doing that. Guys, as we start to think about wrapping this, uh, this podcast up, which has just been an amazing conversation so far, I want to start to actually just spend couple minutes talking about the future and talking about uh roadmap and visions and things like that both on the reverie side of things with Derek um but also Sonny in your world as well um Sonny I think I'd throw it back to you right now when you think about like osmosis decks on cosmos what is the you, you said bear market gives you time to actually build what is the not six month product roadmap but the five to ten year vision here
2: I mean, one is I I don't, I, I don't want us to be considered the dex on Cosmos. I, I really see ourselves as the, the main trading <laughs> hub
0: on Cosmos. Could I say that? I, I would
2: say we are the interchain dex, where you know okay. we're not focused on just the Cosmos ecosystem, right? Like, the goal is that you know we want to be. If your people are trading Bitcoin for ETH for Soul, like that's you know, Osmosis is the place to do that, and our our bet was this sort of bet on vertical integration, that we are gonna be able to build the best decks because we have this like deep control over like, not just the app, but we have the app, we have the chain and our team also maintains the wallet for, uh, and so we have this like sort of deep integration from the full stack and that's gonna build, allow us to build the uh, best uh, flows. Um, And so yeah, so you know, right now really focused on um, a lot of like UX stuff. Uh, so we're working with Axelar, which is like sort of a bridging solution to allow people to do like, you know, na- we call them like native swaps where it's like, oh, you have ETH on Ethereum, you want AVAX on Avalanche, you should be able to do that swap in like a single click. Uh, you don't even need to have an osmosis account or anything. Sort of like, you know, osmosis today very much feels like this, the centralized exchange experience. You deposit assets, you trade, you withdraw. Um, we, want, we also want to be able to offer sort of the shape-shift experience, right? Where it's like, okay, single click and it, it does the entire uh, trade for you. A um, lot, lot of focus on just like, you know, new key management systems. Like,
0: uh,
2: Osmosis has this, like, for example, like uh, hot session keys where it's like, you know, every time you make a trade, I don't want to like have to pop up my ledger to sign every single trade, right? I should be able to generate a hot key that like, it says, oh, with this key, you're allowed to trade up to like five percent of your portfolio, uh, and then anything more, it it requires a, a ledger signature or something like that. So, you know, kind of like it's kind of like smart wallets, but they're actually like built natively into the uh, protocol itself. And so, um, yeah, that, that's nice. a big focus of ours. Um, yeah, I mean, so like, like I said, I mean, long term, that that's that's where we're going. Be you know, focusing on the entire interchain um and i think that's what's gonna happen you know what's gonna happen is that more and more assets are going to types of assets are going to enter are going to become crypto native assets today it's like you know (laughs) cryptocurrencies or but we also have like you know what i would DAO tokens what i would consider like the new form Mm -hmm. of equity um i think we're going to start to see commodities and stuff be listed on, on on osmosis and for, to deal with that, I think we're going to have to see like a bifurcation of the Osmosis um, experience today. Like there's like one app where people go to trade like all of the assets. But I think, you know, we, we actually have one called, um, there's a project called Bitsong. Uh, they have like creator fan tokens. And they've actually created a separate front end for Osmosis called Sinfonia that's like very tailored around uh, the fan token trading experience, they have like an embedded music player and all this kind of like, uh, stuff. And I think we're going to start to see more of this, like sort of, um, you know, okay, this is focused, you know, this is focused on trading, uh, L1 to L1 assets. This is focused on trading commodities or like, uh, we're gonna see that sort of bifurcation as well. So I suppose this will come to sort of like protocol for all of this.
0: Interesting. If I'm reading between the lines here, uh, Derek, I'll throw a question to you. Sonny, if I'm reading between the lines, you are going to eventually end up going head to head with some of the centralized exchanges like a Coinbase, right? You you could really see a world where you guys end up taking on someone like a Coinbase. Or actually, Derek, before throwing it to you, Sonny, agree? Disagree? Uh, I agree. This was like okay. this is the mission we started out. That is the goal. Okay, okay, that, that is the goal. <laughs> Derek, I'd throw it to you then. Does someone at what point does like DeFi end up actually becoming? a real competitor to cFI And so I mean, the reason I say like actually is because, you know, there were days a year ago or two years ago, like, you know, it was in was the, in, in the news and things like that. Like, okay, Uniswap volume overtakes Coinbase volume. But like at the end of the day, Coinbase is a 800 pound gorilla compared to someone like uh, you guys right now or, or Uniswap or really any, anyone in DeFi. So Derek, I'd throw it to you and just say like, when does that flip happen?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the easy thing is to talk about I think the the UI, the UX, the the fiat unwrapping things like that. I think regulation is also part of it, but I think like learning to 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 sort of use DeFi is just it, it's going to take time. Um, and and I think in the past cycle, like the 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 order of magnitude of crypto users broadly increased, and. It'll take them a while to make that jump from traditional centralized exchanges to to DeFi. So I think, like the DeFi experience and and usability is is only increasing and is slowly converging to the centralized exchanges. But we just need more people that have been using crypto and and are comfortable self-custodying with a portion of funds, um, using some of the the wallets and 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 making swaps on 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 Dexes. So yeah, I think a lot of it's just the passage of time. And um, I think that really is the, the main thing because the other factors will will,
3: will happen, so. I mean, I'll take on, I'll take on this, like uh, you know, back in the day when DeFi was getting started, um, the stablecoin stable transfers is, is a pretty popular, you know, use, like use case, right? And there came a time where there were no reason if any sophisticated or just normal person would trade in a centralized exchange, because the slippage was was higher than using something like Curve, and ultimately, like you know, anyone that's trading in de- decent size is going to use Curve um, versus you know some other you know centralized or some centralized exchange, um, and that's just the the beauty of the model here, which is in at least in financial functions, people are pretty sophisticated, and and you're just going to go to the place where you can trade with the best execution. And the upside case here for DeFi to Derek's point, which I agree with is, look guys, it's gonna take time. But at the end of the day, these things are super efficient and you're gonna to go to the place that has the least amount of friction. Uh, and I understand there are certain frictions that are can be addressed pretty quickly, which is, or over time, which is, you know, regulatory concerns and onboarding and, you know, a lot of this stuff can be fixed, but at the end of the day, I think the, the upside case here is these decentralized systems are transparent have certainty around execution. And over time through Lindy effects and whatnot, like you have you sophisticated financial players, whether it's if you're a fund, if you're a trader, or if you're the user aggregator, the bank is going to use DeFi rails because again, it's the only reason why technology gets adopted faster, better, and cheaper. We're at different varying points of these three dimensions, but you sure as hell, I mean, I'm a believer that over time it will be faster, better and cheaper than a centralized institution. No question about that.
0: I agree. I agree. I'm curious where you guys think it lives, though. Like, what pre all these CFI lenders blowing up? I thought the stack was you had all the banks and things like that. They the way best way to get capital into crypto would be through CFI and DeFi would live in the background, and you would never interact with DeFi, and it would just be like behind a fire or something like that. I'm actually questioning that thesis. I think I probably was wrong. I think a lot of CFI ends up getting acquired by the big banks um in, in the bear market here and that DeFi will actually have an amazing bear market and that DeFi is like really primed for another colossal couple of years. So Sonny, I'm curious where you think DeFi lives in the stack. Maybe with the specific question of like do does retail end up interacting directly? Do I do I end up leaving my Wells Fargo and Bank of America account and just have like a DeFi bank basically?
2: So I mean I'll I'll say that I focus mostly on the exchange side of things more than the bank. You know, we're not really building sort of a lending protocol side of stuff. We're really focused on the DEX exchange experience. And I do think that like I don't think that like Osmosis is going to be like just the place where uh, Coinbase is just a front, you know, executing on like tapping into its liquidity. I do think that retail users will interact directly with osmosis as a, as a via the, you know, multitude of front ends that are being uh, built for it. Right. And I think that like that's kind of why we focus so heavily on like the UX and design and brand, you know, I think that we, we, we know that like, our goal is like to have
0: this
2: similar or, or better uh, retail experience than, than something like a Coinbase.
0: Yeah. Uh, when you look at a Coinbase, just to keep going down this rabbit hole, coins uh, centralized exchanges are not exchanges. They're a suite of products. They are platforms for doing things with crypto, lend, borrow, interest, trading, um, d- derivatives, right? Is the, do you guys have the same goal? And, and if so, do you, if this was a non-crypto company, right, you'd be saying, the, the big question is, okay, if you have the same goal, building a platform, well then it's a build versus buy question. And if you actually look at someone like Coinbase, a lot of Coinbase was built through acquisitions, like Coinbase Custody was really Zappo, uh, Coinbase like their prime brokerage was really Tagomi, right? So do you guys, A, like same goal, yes, no, B, have you guys thought about m within DeFi?
2: Yeah, so definitely same goals. Um, I would say it is sort of a uh, a partner sort of situation, but like very close partnerships. So, so I'm, so one thing maybe worth mentioning is that so I mentioned how Osmosis has this like smart contracting system. One thing that we do very sort of uniquely than I than most places is it's it's a permission to smart contracting. And the set, what, what I mean by that is to deploy a smart contract requires making a governance proposal. So it's not a permissionless deployment of contracts. It's, the purpose of Osmosis is we don't have a smart contracting system in order to become, we don't wanna become a generalized smart contracting chain that kind of just goes against our vision for how blockchains uh, blockchain should work. We still are this application specific chain but we, we're able to work. We want to find the like, you know, we're going for a quality over quantity. Where we want to find the other protocols that like can build the cor- the necessary pieces that interact very closely with the osmosis to build the sort of u- user flows we want. So this is sort of like what we're doing with Mars. So Mars is like they they're building this like lending protocol that they're going to deploy onto osmosis. But like we can do like these very interesting interactions between them. You know. They're going to be able to use osmosis LP shares as um, uh, collateral. You can use uh, the the M tokens as in superfluid staking, which is this protocol we have of allowing uh, DeFi assets to be used to secure the uh, proof of stake blockchain. Um, We're gonna, you know, they have this thing where it's like um, you can have a so you know you know how like centralized exchanges they when you borrow assets on you you get like a margin trading account you can't go like borrow take these assets off of the centralized exchange right and so this is sort of a, something we're working on with mars which is like hey you can borrow assets into this like protocol controlled account and then you can use it to margin trade on osmosis but that the assets in that trading account are still owned by the protocol, and so it can actually be so the assets that you borrowed can actually also be used to liquidate uh, and and be like seized by the protocol. So that way, it is a uh, you can have like much you know lower margin requirements. So that's like sort of an example of like these like sort of tight integrations that we're that we're doing. And Mars is just one example. There's like others um, that you know we're working with to to build out that. And then go you know the goal is to have it all be available through this like you know, nice, easy to use osmosis uh, UI.
0: Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation, guys. I want to end with one question to each of you. Um, what is the one thing in this bear market that you're most looking forward to that is not related to something that your company is building or that you are invested in? Uh, what What is one thing just like in, in the arena of crypto that you're most looking forward to? Uh, I will make it an open-ended question to any of the three of you, Santi, you're included if you'd like to answer. <laughs> Shield me! Don't don't call on me, <laughs> Sonny. Maybe I'd I'd pick on you here.
2: Um, I think like there's a bigger usage of like social and web of trust based systems. It's you know if I wasn't working on osmosis, what I would be doing is working on like web of trust uh, systems and. I think there's just like so much uh, part of my view of like crypto is that like, you know, we're building for these like trustless, all these like hyper trustless systems. But that's just like not the world that actually exists, right? Like there exists a fabric of trust in the world. And I think what we need to be doing is making those trust relationships more legible. And, but and then thus computable over so you can, like, you know, take advantage of transient or, uh, uh, you know, multi-hop trust relationships in order to make, um, you know, certain economic or or even non-economic interactions possible that weren't possible before. Um, I think the biggest bottleneck, you know, when we were deciding what to build, uh, we went down the osmosis route because we were kind of really interested in the anti-MUV stuff, uh, but... The rubber trust stuff, the biggest challenge is like the um, the privacy side of things. And, you know, like I said, it, it this is like this is constant balancing act of like in blockchains of balancing privacy and transparency. We, we want to have these computable over trust relationships, but I don't want to be able to go see like, oh, what score did Derek give Santi, right? Like that's not, you know, Santi might get mad if he, Derek didn't give him a great score, right? So it's like, how, how, how do we uh, sort of, provide that and like private compute is like a very hard problem and so um i think that's i'm hoping we can see a lot more progress on that
0: i love that answer derek you want to finish this off
1: yeah i think i mean for me it's it's zero knowledge applications i think there's obviously been a ton of discussion about zero knowledge in terms of roll-ups scalability and privacy but i think fundamentally like communicating is, is 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 present in every interaction in our lives, in real life, digitally. And I think zero knowledge uh, tech has a much broader range of, of applications um, beyond just improving how, how some of crypto protocols like function. So I think excited to, to see that like touch, touch like everybody in, in, in terms of all interactions, so.
0: Nice, cool. Guys, amazing conversation, uh, Sunny, and Derek, both of you guys, it's tough to uh, hear what you're building and not root for you. Uh, This is super exciting. And uh, especially at a time when things are going really crazy in sci-fi. I just like, it's time to double down on what what you guys are building. So I love it. So thanks for coming on Empire.
1: Thanks a lot, Jason and Santi.
0: Thanks for having us.
3: Thanks guys. Take care.